we saw a lot of brands that decided to stay silent, right? And decided to wait it out and didn't predict, you know, that this time would be different. This is, you know, everybody keeps saying it's a movement, not a moment. And so as an agency, we decided to speak out very boldly on social media, supporting Black Lives Matter, you know, offering anti-racist resources, educating on the social media boycott with Facebook. And, you know, not only did we not get any pushback on this, but we got so much praise for it. You know, the New York Times reached out to us last week or the week before about, you know, our Facebook boycott imagery. The Philly Ad Club has reached out to us. You guys have reached out to us. So, you know, brands that are scared or, or uncertain about how they should really be a part of this, I think our key takeaway here would be take a stand. Don't be afraid to be bold and vocal. And then, you know, people are going to notice and it's going to be nothing but, you know, nothing but positive. Curious to know what industry leading marketers are looking to achieve in the ever evolving digital landscape? The How Agencies Thrive podcast by StackAdapt is dedicated to helping the new breed of forward-thinking, savvy, lean, and mean marketers win in the rapidly evolving digital landscape. Time to thrive. Hi, everyone. This is Vitaly Picherski, co-founder of StackAdapt and the host of this podcast. We are approaching the end of our first season of How Agencies Thrive podcast, and we only have two episodes left to share with you. In our today's episode, we spoke with Ashley Shue, a media director at Allen & Gerritsen, to learn more about how agencies can help brands pivot their messaging in the rapidly changing environment driven by global pandemic and social issues. What I liked about this episode is the conversation about diversity and inclusion and the behind-the-scenes look at how Allen & Gerritsen agency thinks about d issues. Here's a conversation with Ashley Shue from Allen & Gerritsen. With current events, agencies have had to address and pivot their client strategies to adjust to the new cycle. Today, I'm talking to Ashley Shuey, a media director at Allen & Gerritsen. Ashley is a media expert and fun fact, she's been the recipient of not one, but two innovation awards in her career. Her quick thinking and analytical skills are only surmounted by her passion for the topic we're discussing today. Ashley and the Allen & Gerritsen team have embraced change with open arms. They've committed themselves to inclusivity and diversity while leading a charge for how agencies should educate and ensure their clients quickly adapt to the new normal while navigating through these uncertain times. Ashley, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Carly. Always a pleasure. Um, <laughs> one thing I want have to applaud you and your team on is how quickly you pivot messaging based on current events. When coronavirus first hit, as a tech partner, we saw several campaigns in a state of flux, but your team quickly swapped out creative messaging. Can you take me through how, as a, both a media and creative agency, you approach the discussion with your clients? Yeah, of course. So obviously, coronavirus was top of mind, both personally and professionally from the very beginning. Um, I know I got <laughs> no less than 800 emails from brands like explaining, you know, how they were going to handle COVID. So like, if I got one more email from an airline uh, being like, Hey, we're going to wipe the seats. Uh, promise. I was probably going to explode. So um, we did make a point to do a lot of listening at first um, as a team and just make sure that, you know, we're developing content that's relevant and worthy of, uh, of consumer consumption. Cause it was really overwhelming. I don't know if you felt that way. <laughs> 
but um, the you know the information influx was was really crazy. So we didn't you know we didn't want to be generic. So we did you know dive in a little bit deeper um, and just recognize and understand where our consumers were getting their information. Um, what was making them feel overwhelmed versus what was really resonating with them and then kind of just go from there. So I think our clients really looked um, to us to help facilitate these actions and be proactive about it. So, you know, staying in front of the situation so we could be agile was really the key to our success um, in the COVID landscape. And like coming from like a personal background too, like it does affect like overall from an emotional standpoint, it can be like very overwhelming. So like to pivot the message based off of that and kind of elaborating a little bit more on emotional based and sentiment based advertising from a client standpoint, this can actually still be a relatively new topic to them. Given the current social climate as well, is your team proactive with recommendations for creative change and media placement? And on that note, what has been the average client's reaction? Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely have great partnerships with our clients. And being that, you know, we really sell ourselves as a fiercely independent business, our clients are really not just businesses to us. Uh, they're really, their success is our success. So the emotional-based planning, I think, is, is super interesting. And it really just takes us to take a step back further and say, you know, how does our audience feel right now? How do they feel about certain mediums or publishers? Um, when's the right moment to connect with them as people? You know, for example... ABC 123 website has a million unique views a day. And normally under efficiency buying, we would say, you know, let's buy the best CPM. Let's get the most impressions that we can for our dollars. But if a reader doesn't trust the source and then you're aligning your brand with that source, you know, what's that really accomplishing at the end of the day? And, you know, also thinking about ad formats, right? So if the ad is disruptive, if the UX on the landing page is poor, Uh, Those factors really weigh heavily on brand perception as well. So it's just, it's been for us about remembering that there are actual people behind the pixels (laughs) um, and just focusing on their state of mind versus purely buying on mathematical efficiencies. That totally makes sense. And then in terms of like the creative standpoint, like you mentioned, people are behind the data at the end of the day. When it comes to like creative changes, you, you probably have to be a little bit more agile in that regard when it comes to the current climate in terms of like the recommendations for your clients have they been receptive to that overall yeah 100 percent. i think that um we've done a lot of decisions based on just testing right so we think we know based on our historical data what images are going to work and what creative messaging is really going to resonate and one thing that we did this year with uh karen treatment centers was was test uh, emotional-based advertising, right? So like uh, an attention-grabbing piece versus like a nurturing piece versus whatever, and then put those in the out in the environment and see which would perform better with different audiences. And and to our to our surprise, I would say there were some astounding differences in the audiences and the imagery. Something as simple as changing out an image made a world of difference. So it's been a really educational for us as well. Um, to be agile. For sure. And then to further on that point too, like you guys were doing that even before I think coronavirus happened, we were looking at more of an emotional based and sentiment based advertising or a creative standpoint. Yeah. So that's great. Like to hear also too, you guys pivoted and you're like, okay, well, we're already doing this, but how can we make a simple change 
to then reach a user during this very overwhelming and, and scary time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from format changes as well from, from platforms, right? Like we knew that there were a lot of changes with consumption in general and information sharing. So we did turn to a lot of native. Um, we did a lot of social knowing that uh, a lot of people do get their news um, as scary as that might be on um, <laughs> social channels alone. Um, and we, we found out that, you know, being, being as, as will uh, our SVP would call it politely relentless um, was really successful for us, <laughs> which is basically, you know, we wanted to be a resource and we wanted to be um, a comfort when it comes to new and relevant content. Cause we obviously want that to be successful for, for our messaging and for our brands um, to be relevant and not just be disruptive. I totally agree. I think polite relentless is probably my yeah. favorite <laughs> saying. So yeah, trademark. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll pay him royalties every time I use it in an email. Um, that said, though, talking again on the data perspective, I mean, we're in the landscape of digital media. Data drives most, if not all, the choices that we make as media buyers. For this type of messaging and assuming how quick you need to act, what is the process like? Yeah, that's a really, really great question, right? So I think it's definitely been a challenge for all agencies, and it's forced all of us to be more agile um, than we, and we, we already thought we were agile, right? And then this situation comes along, and we're like, wow, we have to be way more agile than we ever have been in the past. Um, so I think we really had to lean on you know, the strategy side of our brains and populate proprietary data on top of you know our data source partnerships. So we needed to have a a true and real understanding of who our audience was and how their identities, behaviors, perceptions are fluid and constantly changing. And, and this has always really been the case, but now more so than ever. So, you know, if, if we don't have that true understanding, then we're really using the past um, to inform the future versus being on the flip side and, and saying, you know, we want to predict future changes and plan for them. If that makes any sense. <laughs> No, it totally does. It's it's kind of in a way like you you look at your analytics and you make a lot of your decisions for future-based planning off of that. But when it comes to like social climate and pandemic climate, you can't really make those decisions based on the past behaviors because this is a wild west situation. It's like 100%. if I hear unprecedented one more time, but that's <laughs> that's truly what it is. So I mean, as much as I hate that in an email, it's it's truly unprecedented. We don't have a standard for this. I think what was really interesting too is a lot of providers were like, here's what we're seeing in terms of a data perspective. Here's what we're seeing in terms of like where people are shutting off and where they're pivoting to. And like you said, people are turning to social for their news as, as scary as that can be. Um, mm -hmm. I think that even ties into our next question from an analytics perspective. I'm sure clients also want to understand how changing the message can affect the brand's perception. Mm -hmm. Caveat, we are still really early on in this situation and we won't really fully understand the effects of it probably until 2021. But has there been any initial analytical data that has helped showcase this? Has it highlighted a better brand perception at the end of the day? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So all of our brands are obviously really impacted by COVID and, and also by the BLM movement. Um, and our agency, you know, is one of, is, is one of those brands that definitely wanted to have a voice up front 
the thinking about analytical perspective, I think the first thing that comes to mind is um, what we did when we produced a set of COVID articles um, for WebMD with care and treatment centers. And we saw, you know, an immediate spike in engagement for this content. And we also noticed a lot of geographical shifts, right? So COVID cases slowed down in markets like Philadelphia and New York when they started to spike in West Palm Beach. So we were really able to use that data and and push those messages into that market and really use dollars effectively and use that current, you know, real-time data to, to show that the consumers were valuing that information when maybe months ago when this all first started, it was a more popular content um, piece in the Philadelphia or the New York market. So it's honestly been pretty fascinating to watch the shifts um, in real time. And, and now we're in a landscape where we're making daily decisions um, about what about where we're spending our dollars and, and what content uh, makes the most sense in, in which geographical market. Rightly said, I think in terms of understanding like where your dollars are going, it's almost like you guys are being more conscientious of, okay, West Palm Beach, we're seeing a lot more COVID cases, specifically here in New York, Philly, it's dying down. We're going to push more of our dollars towards that specific market at the end of the day and make sure that those who are consuming our content are, are getting the content that they need, really. You did mention BLM also having an effect, and I think tying into emotional-based advertising as well. I've also noticed how socially conscious your agency is. What has Alan and Gerritsen done internally to address diversity and inclusivity? Well, first and foremost, we're thrilled that you've noticed uh, some of our DE&I efforts because you know that just means that our communication efforts are really making an impact. And, you know, as brand communicators, I think it's it's our duty almost to use our channels uh, to help share these values and really educate our industry. So we, we definitely have been dedicating a lot of our space on social media uh, and on our website as a resource and really focusing on things like the Facebook boycott and showing people where they can donate and just lifting new voices and, and showcasing our diversity. So say... The past several months uh, have definitely been full of conversations. (laughs) You know, we've had a lot of open forums that include everyone from, you know, our CEO, Andrew Graff, all the way to our summer intern, who's amazing, Jordan. And these are open, transparent dialogues about, you know, how we not only as like individuals, but also as a full independent agency can improve our efforts because, while you said like, oh, wow, we've noticed a lot of a, a lot of socially conscious things that you're doing, we still have work to do, just like everybody else. So now's the time to kind of improve our efforts and, and create more diverse and inclusive environments, not just like for, you know, the agency itself, but also for our clients and our business partners and, and the communities. You know, we have two offices in two, in two major cities. Um, and so it's really, you know, our duty to to foster that. So... I think one, you know, one big takeaway I can say that we've done this summer is launched our A&G Advocates Program, which I am a part of, um, and that's to, to drive our collective efforts. And we basically create policy change at our agency. And so we're, we understand that, like, all these conversations are great. They should have, you know, they should have been happening all along. But what really is going to drive change uh, in our industry specifically is is, you know, keeping our leaders accountable, our clients accountable, and and creating actionable benchmarks that are actually, you know, going to measure our progress in the space versus just checking boxes. We don't want to be, we don't want to be doing this because we think we're supposed to be doing it. We're just a really passionate group of people who, 
who are just glad that this is a conversation now and glad that we can be a part of this movement. So our, you know, our first step was, was building out the brand's best self um, and sort of uncovering our diversity statement. And so I thought this was a brilliant line. I think it was uh, maybe Aaron uh, or Derek, one of our, Derek, obviously our, our VP and Aaron's one of our copywriters, but she said, um, you know, we really sell ourselves on, we're building a brand's best self but we can't build a brand's best self unless we're all free to be ours. And I just thought that was such a, you know, mic drop statement. I loved it. I thought that was just like very, very inclusive of, of our language and our passion about this project. So that's like an extremely powerful statement. And I loved it. it. I just really loved it. Yeah. It, it really makes you think too, as you were saying it, I was like, wow, that that's huge. I, th- I think like you said too, it, it A&G's always been a very passionate team. Um, and to hear what you guys are doing, I think is amazing and leading those conversations. So I, I am definitely going to keep an eye out for additional things and actually building on that, what diversity and inclusivity initiatives are on the roadmap as we continue to move forward. Yeah, I think we have a lot of um, a lot of things that were longstanding relationships. So A&G has a longstanding relationship with big brothers and big sisters um, so we have the kids come into the office and once a month and eat pizza and they're so cute and, and so, you know, excited to be there. So that's been something that we've had going on for a long time, as well as, you know, some uh, educational partnerships with Bentley University and Boston College. And But moving forward, so far, Andrew's already been in the race ahead, which is the, the moving together panel, moving forward together panel, which is really exciting. So he's definitely stepping up and being, you know, representing our agency in this space really well. And then I think from like a pillar standpoint, um, for DNI specifically, you know, talent is obviously a, a huge thing. So we want to increase our hiring pool um, and career pathing and, and really casting a wider net for talent. And uh, that includes, you know, training and development. We want to we wanna have a dedicated budget and leadership training, events calendars, uh, continue with our monthly open forums. And then from a financial support standpoint, we even went to think about, you know, our suppliers and like when we have like a big party or whatever, are we getting catering from the same three places? You know, um, can we do something with annual scholarships? Can we do something where we, we're really diversifying the people that we're supporting in our community from a business standpoint as well? That's even really thinking outside the box. I think a lot of the times when we are focusing on DNI, you're probably looking more internally and and to even think from a perspective of what businesses are we supporting when we do have events, that's definitely something I, I didn't even think of either. Um, yeah. So, so to hear that too. And also, again, I had no idea about the Big Brothers and Big Sisters program. I think that's absolutely amazing. Once yeah. a month. Like, <laughs> like I'm sure they're really adorable too, but I'm also kind of jealous that I'm not there for the pizza. So. That said, too, I, I think we actually talked a while back and we discussed how the DNI initiative is something also you guys have been showcasing to your clients when it comes to even pitch decks. Um, can you talk a little bit about that process and, and what the overall response has been? Yeah, so we did have you know a relatively large pitch in the last couple of months and, and diversity was obviously top of mind. And I think the exercise for us was really about redefining diversity, which I thought was 
just really cool, you know, because everybody thinks about diversity in a one lane, right? It's it's either their skin color, their religious background, their, you know, and it's really just so much bigger than that. So we looked at things like um, physical and uh, emotional and mental disabilities, right? So that could be considered, uh, you know, a diverse underserved segment. And I thought mm-hmm. that when I went to the 3% conference, which was virtual this year, so I went to my living room. Um, <laughs> to safely watch the seminar. Such far travel. Yeah. <laughs> and I went all the way to the living room. Uh, there was you know, no traffic, but uh, the 3% conference had two women. And I, I feel so badly, but I forget the name of their company, but they were working with Nike and they identified that, you know, Nike does a lot of things with, does a lot of things really, really right. Right. So they, you know, they, they showcased different types of people in their ads and whatnot, but they didn't realize that the physically disabled audience is actually using a lot of their sports related products, like their gloves, um, their jackets that zip from the bottom so that when they sit, they're not, you know, putting strain on the zippers and all this kind of stuff. And so it's like, rather than featuring those people in their ads, you want to target them with your ads, you know what I mean? Which is two totally different things. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that th- those two women were so well-spoken. And so it, it just made a lot of sense to me. And so it's one of those things that's like, well, duh, how come nobody's thought of this yet? You know? So I loved that. I, I loved the 3% conference. It was really impactful this year and, and talked a lot about diversity and change. So, so for us, I think it was just about redefining what diversity looks like and not saying like, you know, we're going to make three print ads and there's going to be one African-American family, one Asian family, one white family. That's not, diversity in your advertising. It's really thinking way, way, way deeper than that and and thinking about people's experiences and how you can make messaging and place ads where and when it's relevant to them um, versus, you know, trying to just diversify the imagery in your ads. That totally makes sense. I I think like a lot of the times we're just trying to check a box to say we did it. And like you said, it goes further than that. It's understanding the consumer's experience, whether they're a part of a marginalized community or not. Um, but like, it's about understanding and speaking to them on that level and reaching to them when it is relevant versus just saying, oh, this is what we've done. Like, right. What can you do to hold yourself accountable? Yeah, exactly. I think on that note too, what is the one key takeaway from like the past five months that you and A&G believe has lasting momentum? Yeah, so I think that if I only have to pick one, <laughs> um, <Get> more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we saw a lot of brands that decided to stay silent, right. And decided to wait it out. Um, and didn't predict, you know, that this time would be different. This is, you know, everybody keeps saying it's a movement, not a moment. And so as an agency, we decided to speak out very boldly on social media, supporting black lives matter, um, you know, offering anti-racist resources, educating on the social media boycott with Facebook. And, you know, not only did we not get any pushback on this, but we got so much praise for it. You know, the New York Times reached out to us last week or the week before about, you know, our Facebook boycott imagery. The Philly Ad Club has reached out to us. You guys have reached out to us. So, you know, (laughs) brands that are scared, I think, or scared or, or, or uncertain about how they should really be a part of this, I think our key takeaway here would be take a stand, um, you know, don't be afraid to be bold and vocal. And then, you know, people are going to notice and it's going to be nothing but, you know, nothing but positive. Yeah. I think like a lot of the time with the hesitation, 
it it can be understand. It's it's a very overwhelming thing that we're dealing with right now. But I think education and taking a stand is the best thing you can do. And you might not be a hundred percent right, but you might be close to ninety five percent right. And then you learn from there and you continue to evolve forward. Yeah, and it just it showcases just trying, right? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're not perfect. We're gonna we're we're gonna absolutely make mistakes. Um, and I think that it's just creating an environment where like, yeah, if I make a mistake, I want you to tell me about it and I want to be better and I want to be able to still be bold. So I think that for brands to understand that you don't have to be perfect to be vocal, I think is like a really key point. You know, you, you don't have to, you don't have to say the perfect thing. You just have to try to participate in the conversation at this point. Perfect. That's, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So on that note, before we wrap it up, what do you believe the rest of 2020 looks like? And what are your expectations for 2021? So I think that's a hilarious question because who knows? Who knows, right? No, um, I think that 2020, as much as everybody has said, like, this is such a throwaway year, I completely disagree. Um, I think there's been some really beautiful things that have come out of this year. And I think, you know, humanity is one of them. So a lot of brands might have needed this wake up call just to remember that, you know, we're people in this business and we're marketing and advertising to people, not pixels. And one of like the most beautiful things that I, that I've seen come out of this with all of our vendors and whatnot is, is this all in this together mentality. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, and I, and I hope that continues, right. Cause it's been something that has been just like really powerful as an industry, like all of us coming together and trying to, to be better together and help each other out. Um, knowing that, you know, it's been, it's been unprecedented, Carly. <laughs> um, <sighs> but, I think, <laughs> but um, you know, I think and as far as expectations for 2021, like we just really want to continue to be a part of the community. And I'm personally really excited to watch, you know, small businesses get back on their feet, um, families go back to whatever this new normal is. Uh, we obviously have a huge election here in the States coming up in the fall. So there's a ton of things on the horizon. And I guess I'm saying that my expectations are that the good things that are that are going to come out that have come out of 2020 will, will stay true in the humanity space, if that makes, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Yeah, I think like in terms of like 2021, it'll be interesting. And I think the momentum that at least Alan and Gerritsen has started will continue onwards. And I look forward to seeing what you guys put up on those social media channels. And I look forward to hearing more about what you guys are doing internally. Um, Ashley, thank you again for joining me today. It's really, really great to hear what you and the team have already accomplished and what you guys are looking to accomplish in the future. And I'm sure you've absolutely sparked some ideas for those listening today. Yeah, Carly, thank you so much for having us. I mean, to be asked alone was, this is a great thing that you guys are doing with this podcast. And we were so honored and humbled to be a part of it. So really appreciate your time and and for the invitation. So we had a lot of fun. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Ashley. And um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) TTYL. the recording. (laughs) Yeah. TTFN. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode today. If you like what you heard, it would mean a world to us if you do these three things. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review. If you're listening to this and know someone who would find this episode valuable, please share it with them. And finally, please share it on LinkedIn. 
If you have questions or feedback or would love to learn how agencies or brands work with StackitApp, find us at www.stackitapp.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.